0: Hello everyone and welcome to Boating Industry Insider. I'm your host, David G, Content Director and Editor-in-Chief at Boating Industry Magazine. Our topic for this episode is one of critical importance to anyone who builds boats, sells boats, services boats, drives a boat, or even ever boards a boat for that matter, and that is boating safety. Since 2011, the Water Sports Foundation, or WSF, which is the non-profit educational arm of the Water Sports Industry Association, has been a significant boating safety partner for the U.S. Coast Guard's Recreational Boating Safety Program. The WSF submits ideas every year to positively affect boating safety culture. Those ideas are then funded through grants whose basic premise is to use the boating and water sports media to reach boaters and paddlers with reminders about safety. In fact, one of those grants made this podcast possible. And now we welcome Jim Emmons, WSF Grant Director, as one of our featured guests. Jim, nice to have you with us. I'm glad to be here, David. Thank you. Also with us is Pamela Dillon, a career-long boating professional who's currently Education and Standards Director for the National Association of State Boating Law Administrators. That's a national nonprofit that works to develop public policy for recreational boating safety they represent the recreational boating authorities of all 50 states as well as the U.S. territories. Pam, nice to have you along for the Safe Boating Ride as well.
1: Thanks so much, David.
0: Oh, well, before we get into some of our questions and, and discussions and boating safety statistics, why don't each of you kind of briefly describe your day jobs and your organization's efforts on the safe boating front? Pam, why don't we start with you?
1: Thanks. Thanks. Um, the National Association of State Boating Law Administrators, uh, many folks refer to it as NASBLA. Mm-hmm. NASBLA, as you said, works with all 50 states and U.S. territories to really uh, develop model acts, uh, uniform boating education programs and standards. While we work with public outreach to uh, not only the state administrators but also to voters um, across the states and we we do that so that there is a a consensus and a shared um, message and voting education materials and other um, programs to train law enforcement officers to work with um, state administrators to make sure that the laws are uniform Uh, across the U.S. states and territories so that boaters uh, not only have clear uh, information about what they are required to do, but there's some uh, clear training and uh, standards available
2: for their use.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, big job. Thanks for, for all those efforts. Jim, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you do as well?
2: Well, David, my position currently is uh, Outreach Grants Director for the Watersports Foundation, and uh, this cr- job and, and the whole division of the WSIA was created for working with the Coast Guard um, in the nonprofit grant uh, arena, mm-hmm. uh, mainly for uh, promoting boating safety through uh, the recreational boating safety outreach programs that the, that the Coast Guard has. The uh, Coast Guard has authority over all recreational boating in, in the United States. And uh, through the Sport Fish Restoration and Boating Trust Fund, they pass out um, grant funds to organizations like uh, WSF and also like NASBA and others who help them promote uh, boating safety in in a number of different ways. Our our particular strategy that we came up with back in uh, 2010 was to use the boating media as Mm -hmm. um, a way to reach boater consumers with, um, with boating safety messaging. And so for roughly about nine years we've been uh contracting with um mainly consumer media both in the paddle and in the power space the human powered and and the powerboat space um this year was the first year we were awarded a grant to move into the trade media uh, which is how we um we found uh boating industry and, and other boating trade media outlets that we are promoting boating safety to retailers so um mainly my job though is is uh kind of like an air traffic controller i'm just Hmm. constantly uh you know uh, transmitting content out to the media folks i'm checking their deliveries and making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do and um and then re-up again in the following year with new contracts uh, new ideas better ways to reach the public better ways to reach retailers and do the whole thing over again so that's sort of it in a nutshell
0: Well, we're glad you did find boating industry in in this podcast and and, uh, appreciate the opportunity to reach out to people to talk about an important topic. You know, I recently had the, Jim, we had talked about uh, the American Boating Conference in Washington, D.C., recently had a chance to attend that. It's where the industry comes together to to, uh, advocate for recreational boating. We had over 200 meetings on Capitol Hill uh, with lawmakers. We had a number of speakers. One of our speakers was Captain Scott Johnson, who is the chief director of the Coast Guard Office of Auxiliary and Boating Safety, as well as the national coordinator for the National Recreational Boating Safety Program. Now, each year, as you both know, the Coast Guard issues a full report on recreational boating accidents. The 2018 report hasn't been released yet, but Captain Johnson did give us a few uh, numbers from that report, the sneak peek. Uh, He said there were 629 boating deaths reported in 2018, down 2.7% from the previous year. And there were 2,342 injuries, which represents a 2.5% decline from 2017, 2017. Jim, from your vantage point, what's the best way to to continue to reduce both of those numbers? Is there some low-hanging fruit when it comes to boating? safety what's what's on the front lines here wow dave that's a loaded question but i'll i'll try to (laughs) try to jump into that Um, you know certainly i i mean from my perspective i think that
2: you know more outreach more education Mm -hmm. to uh boaters and the consumer public uh, more awareness about um you know things are basic uh you know being aware of of weather and cold water and being uh you know taking a safe boater course um, having a Coast Guard auxiliary check your boat. I mean, just so many simple little things mm-hmm. could avoid accidents. You could help bring those numbers down. But I think one of the biggest areas for a low-hanging fruit in, in my uh, nine years of, of being in this position that I've discovered is on the paddle sports side. In, in the human power segment um, in the 2017 uh, year, mm-hmm. 192 people lost their lives paddling some sort of a vessel. Um, which to me is a relatively passive activity. Yeah, uh, and it should be a safe activity. I mean, there are no spinning propellers There's no flammable liquids. There's no high speeds. You know, there's no uh, carbon monoxide There's just so many things that powerboat, you know, makes power boating more dangerous in my opinion um, Yet we had nearly one out of every three people that died in bo- recreational boating in 2017 was participating in some sort of human-propelled yeah. activity. Uh, I think that that's where the real low-hanging fruit is. And and if you wanted to dissect that a little further, I think it goes down into, um, into the fact that um, uh, kayaks have become relatively inexpensive to produce. Mm-hmm. And um, retailers um, have realized that it's a great place to make a decent margin. And many of what we call the no-service retailers, uh, the club stores and big-box stores, mm-hmm. I've gone into the kayak business and people go in and buy a kayak almost as an impulse buy because they know they got a party at the weekend cabin next week. And uh, and they're, they they um, you know throw a $199 kayak mm-hmm. under their arm, but no one's there to tell them that they need a life jacket or that they should be aware of the cold water or that the weather could change suddenly and you could be swamped and, and overturned and, and you drown if you don't have a life jacket on. So that to me is where I think the low-hanging fruit is, and I I realize that probably the majority of your audience is going to be more in the powerboat segment, but um, I I think we've done a really good job on the powerboat side. We can always do better, Mm -hmm. but I just feel like on this human-propelled side, we can certainly do better.
0: And you mentioned kayaks, uh, stand-up paddleboard certainly would be in that that category as well. Uh, a, a, a space in in the industry that's seen tremendous growth and and likely, as as you said, Jim, uh, you know, introducing water sports to to a completely new uh, generation and, and 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 type of person, and which is which is on the one hand good news, but uh, the newbies, you know, sometimes uh, don't know what they don't know. So, uh, Pam, in in your view, what do you see as the the biggest opportunity to, to kind of take another shot at at continuing to reduce boating deaths and injuries?
1: Well, Jim certainly made some really um, important points, but overall, I think increasing life jacket wear Mm -hmm. rates across the board Mm -hmm. uh, with all types of, of boating and boaters and one of the biggest opportunities we have to increase life jacket wear is to for the industry and others to continue the innovation in the style and types of life jackets, to make them more uh, comfortable, to make them um, more wearable, so to speak, to make them stylish, to make them cool. So you know, continued innovation mm-hmm. in uh, life jacket styles and technology is a great opportunity we have. And then, of course, on the flip side of that, encouraging, continuing to promote life jacket wear across the board to all types of boaters. Um, it's just like seat belts. If mm-hmm. you think back, you know, 30, 40 years ago when um, seat belts were in the cars, but people didn't wear them much. Um as the laws as more information came forward about the life-saving um reality of wearing seat belts uh then innovations began to happen they made uh seat belts um a- almost secondary i mean just a- automatic when you set in a lot of cars in the past mm-hmm. that they you know literally strapped you in we don't have that kind of reality on boats, but the the life jacket is um, an equivalent of if we can just have people continue to wear a life jacket that is form-fitting and comfortable for them, that is designed for their type of activity, then they'll find that putting it on is just secondary. Keeping it on is just, you know, it's a no-brainer. It's comfortable. It's part of the gear. It's part of the sport. Mm-hmm. People recognize that those who are wearing their life jackets uh, really are setting an example for uh what it what a boater should look like when they're recreating uh, out on the water. And we also know that it's not just um you know in, in in additional opportunities to reduce boating deaths and injuries. The campaigns um should be addressed to all boaters, not just the boat operator that Many times passengers, new passengers that come on board, they need to be just as aware of safe boating practices as the, as the person that's operating the boat.
0: You mentioned uh, life jacket when when we were in in D.C. Captain Johnson shared uh, again some statistics from uh, the twenty eighteen study. So the good news is, in two thousand eighteen, they had the second highest wear rate ever. So you think, okay, fantastic. We're we're getting you know the word out uh, at the retail level. Uh, yeah. You know, education's taking hold. It's working. But then. He said the number and it's you know a wear rate of six point four percent last year on open motorboats. So when you hear that, it's like okay, well that's you know plenty of room for improvement. Uh, you know where do we? I mean, do you either of you advocate for mandatory life jacket wear? I mean, where do you? Where where do we? You know, uh, make that that number go up? You know considerably, which which definitely there's some room for improvement.
1: Well, I'll jump in there, uh, David, and say that from the safety community's perspective, we absolutely advocate for life jacket wear. Mm-hmm. Now, the mandatory question that comes back to what the states and other legislatures are going to support, but we know that in areas where Uh, in in certain types of boating where life jacket use is required, such as um, in most states when you operate a personal watercraft, you are required to have a life jacket on. We can show statistically that the number of deaths associated with that type of boating activity have plummeted. Mm -hmm. Um, There still may be mishaps. There still may be Especially when operating a personal watercraft, there may be uh, high-speed type of uh, incidents that occur. People fall off. They may, um, you know, get slammed into uh, the uh, the handlebars mm-hmm. or uh, in, and have trauma associated with an incident. But the bottom line is that the number of drowning deaths have decreased dramatically from personal watercraft when a life jacket mandate was adopted by Mm -hmm. the individual states. And we know that 80% of the 600 plus deaths that occurred last year, approximately 80% year after year after year, are the result of people ending up in the water Mm -hmm. and drowning. Mm -hmm. So we know that mandates can dramatically drive those numbers of boating deaths down. And so it's now really, uh, when is the community, when is it going to be um, not only socially acceptable, Mm -hmm. but expected that, hey, when you get on my boat, you're going to put on a life jacket. Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge Mm -hmm. that we have. Uh, in moving forward.
0: Well, that is a a pretty sobering statistic and thought when you think that 400 people might be alive today uh, with one simple change in their boating habits, and that was, you know, if they had been wearing a life jacket. So uh, you know, uh, it's it's an amazing thing when you think about it. You know, put it in that perspective. And speaking about uh, you know sober, uh, we should talk about alcohol use. Of of course, that has an impact on on safe boating and and uh, whether we come back to the dock with uh, you know everybody uh, safe and, and happy and healthy as as they should ever every single boating excursion. Uh, you know, I think that that we know that drinking and driving is very dangerous, even though it still occurs. Is there a, a, a little bit of a disconnect when it comes to alcohol use on the water? Uh, do people view alcohol use uh, while they're boating differently? Jim, uh, talk a little bit about, about alcohol use on on boating um, as as we were recreational boating.
2: Yeah, uh, David, um, alcohol is the leading contributing factor in boating accidents mm-hmm. when the factor was known. So, mm-hmm we realize that, you know, use of alcohol, um, in boating is, is driving a lot of the accidents and incidents that occur. And of course, also some of the, many of the deaths, but, um, there's a culture that, um, Mm. you know, drinking on a boat is part of the activity. I mean, it's, it's a recreational activity. It's not like, you know, getting your car and driving to work or getting your car and, and driving to the store. Um, it's, the boats are used for recreational activities. And as such, you know, the, the recreational side of it created this culture that allowed, um, alcohol to be acceptable on, on a boat or, or while Mm -hmm. boating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing is that, um, this same culture used to maybe exist in cars way back a long time ago, but that culture changed that, Mm -hmm. that, that ship sailed a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it is not, and we talk about this in our meetings all the time, it is not culturally acceptable to get into a car with uh, the driver, have a cooler of beer next right. to him where he right. can just reach in and grab a can of beer anytime he wants. So you wouldn't even get into the car with someone that you know was set up like that. Yet it occurs in boating. So if we're going to change this culture, I think that we're going to need the boating retailers in America when they sell a boat mm-hmm. to say, you know, you got to wear your life jackets you got to use your engine cutoff switch. You you shouldn't have alcohol on your boat just like you don't have alcohol on your car. And if we can get the retailers who I think consumers, boaters look up to as mm-hmm. the authority on boating to start promoting these these things, the things we just talked about it's going to help change that culture. Uh, you know, one program is Sober Skipper program, which is trying to do the designated driver approach to boating. That's really saying, you know, designate someone to be the person that's not intoxicated. Some people argue that it's the one that's the least intoxicated and it's not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, doing anything. But mm-hmm. there's some programs like that one that are out that are trying. they are trying to make a change in this culture. Um, But this is really a a big, I think, a big area of interest, a big problem with with, um, recreational boating safety and and one that we spend a large part of our time on.
1: If I could add an important clarification of the differences between boating um, and -hmm. automobiles uh, to add on to what Jim was saying, In an automobile, if someone has been drinking and climbs into the back seat, we generally believe that, you know, given reasonably safe driving, that that person, um, it's acceptable for a person to be a passenger in a car and still um, be, you know, perhaps above the, the limit of what the operator, of course, would be expected to be. But in a... Boat. We also know statistically that over half of the boating deaths occur to passengers, and alcohol is a risk. Um, Alcohol use to passengers in Mm -hmm. boats Mm -hmm. is a risk because of the ease of a person falling overboard. And, you know, once again, life jackets can play a critical role in reducing that level of risk if a passenger is drinking alcohol, we ask them. And, and it is in an area where it may be legal for that to occur, because that's not always the case across the board on all bodies of water. But if you're going to drink on a boat, even if you're not operating, please wear a life jacket. Statistically, we can show data after data point where it makes a big difference when people wear life jackets.
0: Mm-hmm. When I, I was just Thinking about our boating recent boating experience, and, and uh, I'm an avid water skier, wakeboarder, wake surfer. Uh, my friends and family all do these. I mean, that's what our activities center around when we're on the boat. So we're we're actively engaging in water sports, and and not just you know uh, sitting around uh, at you know uh, party sandbar and and consuming alcohol mm-hmm. and drinking. So I'm I'm really not very aware of alcohol use on boats since we don't do it but uh, mm-hmm. at one of our our area local lakes there's a, a photographer you know kind of a professional photographer who sits up high in his boat and and he takes every nice weekend day maybe a hundred 150 200, images of, of photographs of people, you know, coming through channels and, and being on the boats. And, and I always, you know, enjoy looking through those and, and, you know, seeing either ourselves or people we know, or, you know, boats I recognize. And, and I am utterly amazed, I'll even say shocked, at the number of photographs and images where people have alcohol in their hands, including the driver of the boat. I mean, it it is really, it, it, it's, you know, maybe I'm naive about it, but it, it's staggering to me to to see the amount of alcohol use while people are engaged in recreational boating.
1: And, and the reality is that, um, you know, statistically, the, the law enforcement, enforcement community has uh the tools the laws that you know there uh, many people who are out on the water do not uh understand that they could be uh charged mm-hmm. with uh a level of operating under the influence uh even when they're on a boat many times law enforcement will stop a boat operator who does have that drink in their hand and the operator will be surprised that they are getting tested for a level of intoxication uh, because they're not aware that those laws do uh, apply to boating situations on the water. And it doesn't, it's not just motorized boating. It could be mm-hmm. non-motorized mm-hmm.
0: boating as well. Yeah, canoe, kayaking, stand-up, paddleboard. Jim, you mentioned mm-hmm. the culture thing. I mean, you said it's not cool to, to drink and drive. How do we make it not cool to, to drink and boat?
2: That's the $64,000 question. I mean, you know, you know it's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's one that we've uh, tried to tackle this year. We were awarded a new grant project um, that was specifically designed for BUI uh, where we produced 12 uh, one-minute-or-less videos using voting celebrities and boating celebrities is a bit of an oxymoron they're kind of hard to find but you know people that either um you know uh, run a sport fish tv show Mm -hmm. or maybe they're uh, a boat captain or uh, maybe they're an editor of a boating magazine or someone that's you know got a little bit of a following um and we managed to come up with 12 of them that you know each and every one on a video says um when i go out on my boat i I don't drink and drive and you shouldn't either Mm -hmm. and um They're just little short PSAs that we're uh, distributing through the voting media and uh, we're hoping that, you know, because these folks are more well known that it might have an impact on the consumer voters to perhaps do the same thing that they're
0: suggesting. Jim, you mentioned something in passing. I want to uh, come back to. Obviously, weather uh, plays an important part in our boating experience, either either good or bad. Uh, weather can change. Whether it's you know uh, thunderstorms that that can quickly move in, in, in the upper Midwest or offshore storms uh, on the coasts and and big water. Talk about you know, the importance of, of being weather aware. And, and I know when I, you know, the first time I went out the spring water skiing, it was 50 degrees. Uh, uh, I had a wetsuit on, of course, but uh, fairly cold. Hypothermia can set in if, if you don't have the proper wetsuit on. Uh, Jim and, and Pam, talk about uh, the importance of, of being weather aware. Well, it's so
2: important to uh, know the boating weather forecast before you go out on your boat. It's a good idea to know you know, what's what's happening that day? Is there a chance for thunderstorms? And then to be situationally aware. I mean, we talk about mm-hmm. situational awareness a lot. You know, a lot of times um, boaters get out um, on the water and they kind of close down their peripheral. They sort of get focused in their little community on the boat. They're not paying attention to what's going on around them. The clouds are billowing. Uh, you know, a gray storm is, is coming up over the horizon. And so often, we hear these stories um, in the media of, you know, boaters that are caught well offshore Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. a huge thunderstorm comes up, and there's really not much they can do. In fact, one story that I'll never forget was one out of Utah where um, a Nautique, you mentioned water sports, Mm -hmm. uh, a ski Nautique was out um, with a family, and uh, the winds came up so strong on the lake that it, it overturned the boat in the middle of the lake, and I can't remember, six or eight people, including children, all died. It was was a horrible story. But, you know, one where, you know, being a little bit more situationally aware about about the weather might have changed things, might have been able to leave a little earlier and get away from that storm before it came in. It's also really critically important in the paddling community. Uh, You know, you get offshore Mm -hmm. uh, in a kayak, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if it's not. An ocean-going kayak, you're in a recreational kayak, and uh, the wind comes up, the waves come up, you get swamped, you get flipped over, and you can't get back in. Uh, and if you're not wearing a life jacket, you're you're you know you're really running the risk of drowning. So, um, I think the weather is is as big an issue as as just about anything else we've talked about.
0: When we were on the, uh, uh, Jimmy, you mentioned that. That story, I, I had a, a one as well when we were on the steps of, of the U.S. Capitol, posing for a photograph before we all, all went in to uh, have our uh, meetings with lawmakers. I just introduced myself to the man who was standing next to me, and and uh, come to find out he was the father of a uh, of a young uh, man by the name of Austin Blue, and and back some of you might remember that story back in July of twenty fifteen. Austin and his best friend left uh, Jupiter Inlet in Florida. Uh, they were both avid fishermen and swimmers scuba divers snorkelers uh, went out in their 19-foot uh, uh, boat for just some some fishing and storm came in an hour and a half later the boys were never seen again uh, so in in this case you know the father and, and the mother are both channeling their grief for uh, advocating for safe boating and being weather aware and, and emergency position radio beacons and they've gotten some laws uh, enacted in Florida but you know here were two uh they were young but but very experienced boaters who simply were not aware of of the changing weather conditions and and in the as in the case in Utah it it uh cost these young boys their lives so uh very very tragic and a, and a very preventable uh tragedy you know a very
1: heartbreaking Most tragedy i think yes mm-hmm. and i i think though that in addition to those types of weather, extreme weather-related incidents, um, I think people would be uh, surprised to find out that the vast majority of the deaths that do occur happen in calm water, mm-hmm. open water situations mm-hmm. where it is a good weather day. So hmm. have, being situationally aware is is important under all weather conditions uh, to make sure that people realize how easily boats can capsize Mm -hmm. or someone can fall overboard. And um, all too often it happens when uh, the conditions are clear and calm.
0: You mentioned being situationally aware. And then that's not just uh, something that uh, pertains to the captain, but, uh, you know, to to your crew as well, you know, making sure that you're having, you know, kind of safety briefings uh, before you go out, l- making sure that the people that are your friends and family your crew members uh, know, you know, where the life jackets are located uh, if they're not wearing them. Uh, Jim, you mentioned you call it a, a designated lookout while boating. Talk a little bit about that and what what you mean by that, how we can have a designated lookout.
2: Well, it's always important you know, before um, an excursion to brief your your uh, your crew with the safety um, with the safety information mm-hmm. of, about the boat and about the excursion you're about to go on, and one of those might be you know to designate someone else to be a lookout i mean you see that in in the um in the coast guard statistics that you know improper lookout was mm-hmm. one of the leading causes of accidents it's either the captain is preoccupied and not paying attention mm-hmm. uh and the rest of the crew is also preoccupied not paying attention and somehow the the boat runs aground or or, or collides with uh, a fixed object or maybe another boat um, tragic story of fourth of july last uh, year in the miami area mm-hmm. uh, after the fireworks went off totally black night you know everyone racing to get back to the uh to the dock to be the first one to get their boat on the trailer and uh several boats collided and i think uh, uh, six or eight people died mm-hmm. that night it was mm-hmm. just it was just tragic that mm-hmm. you know no one was really paying attention uh, probably was um compounded by alcohol yeah, on the fourth yeah. of july night but uh yeah. Uh, so I, I, I always try to, you know, tell uh, people, my friends and family, whatever, that, you know,
0: not just the captain, but everybody should yeah. be looking out to make sure, you know, we're not uh, in harm's way. Yeah. Well, we're just about at the end of our time together. Pam, anything you would like to impart in closing, anything you would like to emphasize as, as we wrap up?
1: I think that uh, safety should be first and foremost mm-hmm. on everyone's minds, uh, prep- Um, prior preparation before going out on the boat, making sure people are properly equipped. Your boat has been checked over. You have all the um, not only required equipment, but uh, recommended equipment for safety, that you've got good communication devices. Um, All of this is just uh, preparing you to have a great, enjoyable Mm -hmm. time out on the water. You know, often people say, Oh, safety is such a downer. We just want to go out and have fun. And the bottom line is yes, it, but safety ensures that you'll be equipped to handle those emergencies that pop mm-hmm. up. If it, if you do have a mechanical issue, you'll be able to get. Um, emergency response um, if you need it or you'll be able to get help if uh, prior to that storm rolling in, if somebody goes in the water, you've got Mm -hmm. the flotation devices or the ring buoys, the other rescue devices you can help get that person back on because we all want, at the end of the day, to go home with great stories about having a great outing and a great uh, time out on the water. Nobody wants to get hurt or injured. So uh, just be safe, be aware, uh, pay attention, take the classes and uh, follow through. And that's, that all leads to a safe boating
0: outing. And Jim, uh, in closing, you mentioned the importance of of boating safety education. Where, where's kind of a a first resource? Where's a a go-to spot where we can uh, begin to access and and learn more about boating safety education courses available to us?
2: Well, um, the Coast Guard Auxiliary certainly is one. Uh, U.S. Power Squadrons, which Mm -hmm. is uh, now Mm -hmm. called America's Boating Club, um, provides a lot of education. But uh, there are online courses. There are state courses. Um, Yes.
1: Every state um, has a state-sponsored course. That is available. Most of them are available free of charge. Uh, the Boat U.S. Foundation has a free online course. Um, if you just Google Boat U.S., okay. uh, free course. Uh, but the Coast Guard Auxiliary, the Power Squadrons, many state people. And it's just not online courses. There are many skill courses that we really want to promote as well. You know, it's kind of like get get your – um, get your knowledge, uh, your education certificate, which is a knowledge-based, typically a classroom or an online-based course. But you should think of that as the equivalent of a driver's learner's mm-hmm, permit. Mm-hmm, uh, you still want to get out on the water, uh, take a course with a an instructor that is on the water that can really focus on developing your skills and uh, inc- improving and increasing that situational awareness that we've talked mm-hmm. about, but also give you really practical ways to, uh, have, you know, Get the most out of your boat and uh, be able to recreate um, and have a lot of
0: fun. Well, that is a, a great place to end. Pamela Dillon, Education and Standards Director for the National Association of State Boating Law Administrators. And Jim Evans, Grand Director for the Water Sports Foundation, the nonprofit educational arm of the Water Sports Industry Association. Thank you both so much for joining us. Great topic.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'll be safe Thank out you, there,
0: David. Absolutely. And I'm David G., Content Director and Editor in Chief at Boating Industry Magazine, and your host of Boating Industry Insider. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And until next time, we'll see you on the water.